0: Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode covers the mythology of Season 3, Part 8. One of the big mythology entries in Twin Peaks, to be sure. So we're going to discuss, first of all, the actions that take place inside the Spirit World locations of the episode. So in this case, that the, the tower, uh, the giant's tower, basically... Um, he is listed as question marks, I think, however many question marks, seven question marks in the credit. I think at this point, the cat was sort of out of the bag as to what those question marks stood for, because a piece of music was released that had the name in it. So uh, they, we're, we're just going to say the name. It's the fireman. <laughs> so a bit of a spoiler there for people watching it the first time, but uh, not really. I mean, they, they weren't, uh, they, they were sort of, tipping their hand at this point publicly that that's what what those question marks stood for. But of course, we know him as the giant from season two anyways. And then after we talk about the spirit world scenes, we're going to talk lodge lore. So just looking conceptually at the episode, including stuff that takes place in different locations and has that mythological overtone to it. And there's just so much to dig into here. My guests, as of the previous episodes this week, are Em and Steve of No Ship Network, They hosted their own Twin Peaks podcast and joined me to talk part eight uh, several years ago when this was first recorded. There's one last story section. I kind of tried to structure the story sections uh, each episode so it goes from the most casual, you know, one-off location like New York or Buenos Aires to what in some ways is the most important, which is the spirit world, which is both a location and not quite a location. Obviously the most famous icon, you know, iconic place of the spirit world in Twin Peaks is the Red Room, but we don't see the Red Room at all in this episode. Instead, we see two other spiritual locations. And the first is the convenience store. I would say there's maybe three or four different, you know, spiritual locations in this in this series. And this is one that, of course, can trace its roots back to the European version of the Twin Peaks pilot, where mm-hmm. the one-armed man says, we lived above a convenience store. And it's taken quite a few twisted turns to get to this point. <laughs> Where we're just seeing in the midst of the atomic explosion, this kind of 1940s-looking classic convenience store that actually has the words "convenience store" written across <laughs> the top. Make you know, sometimes Lynch is very literal, uh, cagey, and sometimes he's not. <laughs> and it's a, like a gas station outside, and there's significantly no room above it that we can see that staircase i think is you there. do see it yeah. in this episode yeah and there's all these woodsmen racing around in front uh, i paused it a few times it seems like there's usually seven on screen but there are eight total because sometimes you can see eight of them maybe one of them is like hiding behind <laughs> one of the uh you know um pumps <laughs> pumps <laughs> some of the time <laughs> It looks a lot like a series of photos because it's just done, it's cut in a very staccato way where Lynch Mm. is just almost skipping across the frames. And I think somebody pointed out once that it looks like if you're editing something digitally, like you're on Final Cut Pro or Avid or something, and you're just uh, scrubbing across the timeline, you get that sort of imagery. And they wondered if this was uh, an approach that came to him from from editing digitally and like, hmm, this would be interesting to look at, you know, because it is it is a particularly digital kind of look and one thing I want to mention just as an offhand thing I'll send you guys the photo I probably should have sent it beforehand I'm going to put this in the show notes for listeners to check out but there's a photo I found last summer just in a random photo book in a gift shop at a museum and it's I think it's just called like in dreamland or something And it's this group of villagers somewhere in, I think, Vermont or, like, upstate New York or Maine or just somewhere very isolated in, like, the Northeast. And, you know, they've got, like, uh, like a peak cap and, like, overalls. And the girl has, like, kind of an old house dress on. They're just sitting in front of this dance hall that says Dreamland on it. It's just, like, a really fascinating picture. It makes me think (laughs) of Lynch a lot. And it really reminds me, A, of this convenience store, B, of the, like, the gas station that the little boy and girl are walking away from, talking about, like they just went to a dance or they just listened Mm -hmm. to a song or something you're like where in like the back (laughs) in the back of the gas station um you know so it reminds me of that and of course there's a part later where or earlier actually where a character says to dougie are off in dreamland again dougie so i'm gonna throw that photo in the show notes i've been wanting to bring it up for a while on this podcast and that'll be my opportunity
1: i'm curious as what you think about the sound design for this
0: oh yeah i love the sound design that sounds a lot like scrubbing too so like if the visuals look like you're scrubbing across a a video a visual timeline, um, the sound sounds like if you're scrubbing across like a you know the audio of it. So I guess that just reinforces this idea that maybe he came across this uh, this look through the process of editing if that makes sense.
2: So it's like a sort of serendipity. It's not something that he tried to get to through a, a new and different means of of like innovation perhaps, but like more like going, okay, this is the mechanics of actually getting this to look good, but I like what I'm seeing already. And I'm just going to manipulate <laughs> almost like scratching a record on vinyl, you know? Yeah.
0: And, and it, like, that's such a, I don't know if this is true, by the way, I should say, I think, I, I don't know if it was, was it Twin Peaks rewatcher? It was some podcast like brought this up, I think. And I was like, Oh, that's a, that's a good point. But that's such a Lynch thing anyways of like, Oh, the 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 deer head is on the table. Let's just leave it there, you know. Yeah. Or like, oh, Bob is in the mirror. Let's make him the center of this whole show. Like, <laughs> it's it's such a lynch thing to like stumble across this accident and then be like, leave it, leave it. It's brilliant.
2: Like somebody walking into, you know, some idiot accidentally walks into a recording studio when people are cutting yeah. a record, and then they they say, <laughs> you know what, that that almost kind of fits. So let's just leave it in there. And then twenty years yeah. later, you're it's like iconic, and you, you couldn't even imagine that song without it or something.
0: And the Beatles would do that all the time her majesty at the end of abbey road i think was left on the tape by accident and they were like, oops, we, we ended it on this great climactic note. Now you just have Paul singing for 17 seconds. He's like, no, 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 leave it, leave it. It's a brilliant way to end the album. And they just like <laughs> left it on. So it's that same sort of like random approach. But it's only random when he wants it to be. you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some control over that.
0: So the next Spirit World location that we spend a lot of time in is what I call the Purple World Tower. Uh, we slowly zoom in on it when we're inside the atomic cloud. And... It sort of dissipates until we're going across this sea, and then we reach this giant rock, and kind of the camera goes up the rock into this tower, into this tiny window in this huge tower. So this is another example of him creating this sense of space, you know, starting with something way in the distance and coming in on it. And it's just such an effective way to impress upon us the scale of this thing. Because the tower is tiny. Well, first of all, the rock is tiny compared to the sea. The tower is tiny compared to the rock. The section of the tower is tiny compared to the whole tower. And then this window is like tiny within that. So it's just like, by the time you get there, you're like, oh my God, this is gigantic. (laughs) It's such a cool way of doing that. And inside the room there, we see... I think señorita Dido swaying back and forth to a phonograph.
1: It looks like a fortress to me because that tiny window looks yeah. like an arrow slit you would see in a castle.
0: Great point, yeah.
1: And but you know, even though it looks like a fortress, it, it's such a neutral setting in the way that mm. it doesn't intimidate but it also doesn't feel welcoming at the same time. And yeah. it, it doesn't seem hot, it doesn't seem cold. It's mm. not necessarily ugly or beautiful. Even though the way the light hits the side of the rock, um I do think is beautiful definitely immense and in, in, um especially like the approach of the yeah. camera up it
0: it reminds me in a way of like descriptions that like mystics would have of experiencing god like it's not like this necessarily i mean i guess in some cases it is but in some of the descriptions it's not like this joyous warmth it's like this almost terror of like this overwhelming <laughs> but But like you're saying, not like the atomic bomb type of terror, just like an awe at the immensity and and feeling so small in comparison to that and everything. I think he he creates that effect really well. On the Counter Esperanto podcast recently, they called this the fire station, which I love. Like they point out, you actually basically have a fire alarm going off. Mm -hmm. Like that that buzzing is kind of notifying the firemen that there's been a, uh, you know, a A breach.
2: a breach yeah exactly they did it so they went and did it let's let's go he ahead goes and get off. everything
0: ready <laughs> he goes i think to the club silencio room right it was shot in the same theater
1: it reminds I me believe. of mulholland drive which you know i was talking to steve about that last night because the setting reminded steve a lot of dune also yeah
0: there's was- a lot in this show and this episode particularly that feels like dune
2: especially the outside of the fortress and the way that yeah. they come across the water. It, it it seems like something that could have worked for planet Caladan. So. Yeah.
0: And it's interesting that, you know, at some point, did you guys do a, like a full episode on Dune yes. or did you just, yep. you did. Okay. I thought so. Cause that's an, epi- that, that film is kind of fascinating because it's the one film like, and obviously fans have sort of different opinions of it, but Lynch himself, it's the one film that he kind of distances himself from mm-hmm. just because he didn't, get to do it the way he wanted to. So it's interesting to think that in parts of The Return, maybe he kind of does <laughs> he does Dune the way he wanted to or something, you know, in certain moments. Not even just the the purple world, but also the desert scenes. You know, I, I, there were certain moments where, like, the woodsman's coming down from the sky. I'm like, wow, this feels a lot like Dune, too. Yeah. Or the egg, the egg hatching
2: with the frog bug. Yeah, the you frog
1: know. bug was walking without rhythm.
2: <laughs> Ooh, interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Trying not to draw a sandworm.
2: That's a great concept, though, to to have just these little nuggets of stuff that he throws in there that he's just to say, like, this is what it could have been like if I had you know, yeah. been able to execute my vision properly.
0: So at the end of the Purple World Tower, we obviously see the giant, you know, he, he sees the screening of the atomic bomb explosion. He floats up, and then he sort of breathes out this golden... Um, uh, it looks again, uterine my, in shape. Yes, I was just gonna say, yeah, my cousin that I was watching with then like described it as like a uterus. I was like, yeah, that's a good point. And it produces this Laura egg, basically.
1: I also want to say that um, he was moving slowly when he went to examine the alarm, and mm-hmm. and it was very much like the room service waiter who mm. was his host body. I thought it mm. was it was almost identical to the way that actor moved in the original yeah. series.
0: That's true cuz we don't see the giant move in the original series, do we? He's always standing still.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, he just has a little bit of gesticulation and that's it, but you don't really see him moving around. That's I think the point. only
0: time we see him move is when we when it's revealed that he's the room service waiter. When he's standing up in front of Cooper, and then he sits down and says one and the same. Other than that, I think he's always standing still. Interesting. Lodge lore. What do you think is going on with with Bob and the bubble and all of
2: that? I remember the first time I watched this, I thought maybe these guys—I—I I, I didn't know who they were yet mm. because we hadn't. This is at the beginning of the episode, and then their right. their genesis comes a little later in the episode. So I remember thinking, if I remember correctly, that they were coming to kind of like take away Mr. C back to the lodge. Mm. And then this would be the the opportunity for Cooper to come back to life. And of course, about halfway through it, I'm like, I don't know if that's the case because here's Bob and he's not looking like he's unhappy with the situation. So my initial reaction being very different from after I watched it a couple of times, it was like, no, actually they're helping him out.
1: I had thought, because we did actually see them for the first time in the, I think it was the the second episode where his head floated up. And I got the idea for some reason that uh, Mr. C had hijacked Bob and was using him um, in some way. I think I thought at that time that, the woodsmen had their opportunity to help free Bob from Mister C, and that's what I thought was happening at the time. So
2: it turns out that we're the takeaway that we're supposed to have. I think is that they're working in tandem. That it's like almost like a symbiotic right. relationship.
0: That brings us into the whole convenience store again. We can't get too literal with these allegorical things, but are they inside of the cloud? Is the cloud passing? Is the is this a, a nearby um, location? Like, does it? Is it just a totally symbolic association? Like, what's what's happening in that sequence? One thing that occurred to me this time is, like, are they creating the experiment? Because we go right from them, we close in on the window, and we go into that weird sort of almost tunnel. Like, you see an image for a moment of, like, a hole, and then we mm. see experiment, whatever you want to call it, floating through the ether and vomiting up the fluid and the eggs and Bob. Like, is there a connection between those that I- we can make?
1: I think maybe there's some natural connections that may be at, at the formation of the universe that were created. And this atom bomb forced an unnatural rent. And so they were able to kind of come into our world and suddenly become these these beings that were starting to wreak havoc in a way like they, they've they struck gold. And, and they actually kind of bring to mind um, the gold rush and... and colonization, Hmm. clear-cutting of forests, stuff like that, depleting of natural resources because they have struck gold when they get here and they announce Hmm. it to their fellow beings. And um, bacteria do the same thing, you know, in your Hmm, mouth. This is
0: really (laughs) fascinating.
1: (laughs) Well, you have, like, the initial bacteria that, that adhere to your teeth. And they start sending out these chemical signals to invite other bacteria to join them. And in in order to create this sticky matrix that that they can live inside, and that sticky matrix is also known as biofilm, which is commonly known as plaque. And eventually they calcify it to create a a more hardened structure that they can actually survive and proliferate and become more toxic. So I, I think it's just this unfortunate side of... All living creatures uh, that are um, just seem to be insatiable, and and um, uh, turns out that humankind are the victims here of, of these beings that have now been introduced into our world, and and they want to feed on our fear. That's what I think. The horse is the white of the eyes and the dark within. That's 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 their uh, um, what's the their ambrosia. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wow, that was fascinating. (laughs) That's like like the best analogy I've heard, the dental analogy. I love that.
2: Visually, I I feel like the – this is kind of obvious, but I I feel like the the woodsmen are – Based off of Jurgen Procknow's character in Fire Walk with Me, who is slapping his mm-hmm. knee in reverse, I think um, Lynch was just like, you know what? That was really good. <laughs> I really liked that. <laughs> and I liked it so much that I am just going to make this episode lousy with them. You know, we're, we're just going to, yeah. they're going to be the vessel. So it's, it was kind of fun to see this very, very, very small bit of Twin Peaks lore extrapolated. Into the the rest of it. It's it kind of it just got built up and then and then pushed out.
0: What do you make of the experiment vomiting up Bob?
2: Bob is either one of two things. Bob is somehow this just disgusting offspring that is not put out in the normal way that mammals do it, but through this puking blob that just kind of you know disseminates out. Mm-hmm. Or Um, I think one of the theories that we kicked around when we originally covered it was that Bob could possibly have been a, like a parasite inside of her somehow. And he was riding inside of her Mm -hmm. from whatever other dimension that they came from, assuming that that's what we're going with. And then he, he popped out and it was just, she doesn't give a crap one way or another um, in keeping with a, a kind of cosmic horror theme about it, you know, just the, it's just like, whatever, I don't, I don't give a shit about any of this. Everything is, that's going on is insignificant compared to what I am and what I'm about. So Bob coming out of her a, as either... That would be the case, actually, if if he was the parasite rider, but then if it was intentional, then it would be a whole different can of worms. No different result, but...
0: It doesn't seem intentional, though, does it? It feels like she's getting sick and inadvertently releasing something she doesn't want to. That's my sense of it. That's for interesting. Reason. Well, there is this weird like economic metaphor kind of going on with with Twin Peaks certainly in Firewalk with me with the Garmin Bosia like I know I think you guys have talked about this like it's almost like a currency. When yeah hoarding garmin bosia and they're like distributing it and you're taking too much and you have to like keep the flow to a certain level and like all this stuff like there is this weird like economic metaphor that goes on yeah it's like
2: the economics and politics of a finite resource and
0: yeah or just of emotions you know like it's like he he there's there's this realm of twin peaks that is it's never that dwelt upon even in firewalk with me it's mentioned only fleetingly but it conceives emotions as like a currency or like a commodity almost or something and
1: that would fit with the poem
0: so the poem that the woodsman says over the airwaves before he crushes the dj's head is this is the water and this is the well drink full and descend the horse is the white of the eyes and dark within
1: well i I would say that was That is the commodity that you were describing or talking about earlier. That's fear, and that's what they would be drinking, Mm. deeply drinking. So this
0: is almost an instruction to maybe the frog bugs or something if there's more than one of them or even just that one
2: or to this the other member, members members well. of their kind mm. to to other come woodsmen. but yeah like he's broadcasting it out you know when we do broadcast it goes out into space and it just kind of keeps going and we never know who's going to intercept it at some point so if the woodsman's mm. getting on a, a radio broadcast and saying this he's just he's just a, a wide angle broadcast to everybody here here is the prey so we're just as humans we're just kind of like sardines and these guys are predators swimming through the I these. never
0: really thought about that like who's he talking to with this poem? or who's it who's he delivering the message
2: to that's great that's mostly M's idea actually i'm just kind of riff, yeah. riffing off of that but no
0: that... i i love that because um, it reminds me mark frost said the, the they were scripted to deliver mechanic to to speak in mechanical noises over the airwaves which definitely suggests them uh, sending a message to somebody like like you said like what did them what did you say him about the the bacteria like sends a message like come on yeah it's good here like the the gold the gold miners sending back you know we struck gold come on it's good it's uh you know this is the spot or whatever they're like this is the water and this is the well oh i love that <laughs> drink full <laughs> and descend it makes oh my god
2: all you can eat we're, buffet we're, here with big yeah. big arrows pointed down at the earth
1: yeah, but what's sort of distracting yeah, just... from it is that so many people fall asleep as a result to listening mm-hmm. to it. So you you also wonder if that—that's true. That's the true. Intent. There's
0: more. There is other stuff going on with it. But I love that interpretation as well. One thing to note actually about the the bug itself, the frog bug, there's a whole okay. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with this with both Lynch and within Twin Peaks. So for one, a lot of people have noted that there's like uh, I think it's his quinoa cooking video. That he put on the Inland yeah. Empire DVD. Yeah. He, like, talks about how he saw these frog moths jumping around in, what's Bulgaria <sighs> or something? Romania, somewhere. Somewhere in Eastern Europe. But then also he made a video of a bug crawling through a desolate landscape. It was, like, one of his DavidLynch.com animated shorts. And it just goes on for, like, ten minutes. And it's just crawling slowly throughout the frame. And he says... I really love this little this little story. I'd like to make a sequel with this bug and that's kind of what this is. You know, and I think that was actually one of the first things I thought when I saw it because I remember writing about that like a couple years earlier when I was watching all of his short films and it was like, oh wow, this is the sequel because it's like crawling through a desert and there's like some house and it crawls inside the house and onto the walls and stuff. Um I'll link that in the show notes for sure. This bug is definitely connected to the jumping man because first of all, it has those strong hind legs that it's using to jump, you know, to literally leap into the window and everything like that. But it also has a long, pointy nose, mm-hmm. which is hard to see unless you, like, go looking for it. You know, they don't they don't advertise it, but it's there. Like, it has a long, pointy, sort of mosquito-like nose. When we see vomiting out Bob, and then we see the fireman producing the uterus that kind of gives birth to Laura, we're seeing a female creature creating male energy, and then a male creature creating female female energy Mm -hmm. which i think is interesting
1: that's a good point Um, i hadn't thought of that yeah
0: i don't know what it says but it's just an interesting kind of phenomenon that's it for this episode please rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts you can support this work on patreon.com slash lost in the movies tomorrow's episode is going to be a bit of a break from the format where i've had em and steve uh, joining me to discuss the episode at, at the time that we recorded about a year after it aired but tomorrow I'm going to cover the current events for the time uh, from perspective of like four or five years later. So looking back on what was going on at that time, what was on the cover of Time magazine in the news. So this part will be just me and then we'll return with Em and Steve for the In the Weeds discussion the following day.